This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Now, when I finish this morning, I intend to ask everybody in the room, and I mean that, everybody in the room to respond. So I want you to listen with that in mind. And if you sit there now and say, well, I'm not responding, then you've made your decision already. But if you're breathing, how many of you are breathing? Raise your hand, please, big and high. Good. If your neighbor didn't raise their hand, check on them, would you? If you're breathing, I'm talking to you. Because here's what I believe about the Word of God. I don't believe you can be neutral on the truth. You either have to make it your own or say, no, that's not for me. So it's either obedience or disobedience. You accept it, reject it. But somewhere, somehow, you have to respond to what God reveals to us. So when I finish, I'm going to ask everybody here to join me in one of two prayers. And if you say, well, which one is for me? You'll know when we get there. But I'm going to ask you to make this truth your own. Would you open the word of God with me this morning to the Psalms? I want you to find two of the Psalms that are very brief, both of them known as the Songs of Degrees. Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And when you get there, if you have a little Bible ribbon or marker, you can mark your place. I'm going to return uh, to the second of these family psalms in the Bible study hour, in the next hour, and I'm looking forward to that. So we'll walk through Psalm 128 in the, in the next meeting, but I want to concentrate on Psalm 127 in this morning worship service. It's only five verses long, but it is packed full of truth. Isn't it amazing how much God can say in a very short amount of space? He'd never waste a word. And every word given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit has something for us. Look at Psalm 127, beginning in verse number 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And I want you to read verse 5 out loud with me. Do you have it in front of you now? Psalm 127, verse number 5. Ready? Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I want you to take a pen and mark one word in this psalm this morning. And when I'm finished, if you only remember one word, remember this word, all right? It's not my word. It's God's word. It's an amazing word. And it is the peg we're going to hang everything else on, really in both of these sessions this morning. It is the first word of the last verse. It is the word happy. Would you mark that in your Bible, please? The Bible says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I want to ask you a personal question this morning. Is your home a happy home? If I really wanted to know if your home was a happy home, I would not ask your pastor. He might know. He might not. I've discovered something through the years. I've discovered that many times people put on a certain aura, a certain front, you know, our Instagram society has gotten really good at filtering everything. And we walk through the doors and we give off the, the vibe that we're really happy Christians and full of the joy of Jesus and just everything's great. But behind closed doors, in the privacy of where we actually live, it is another thing altogether. 
If I wanted to know if you really had a happy home or not, I'd want to ask the people that live with you because they know you better than anybody. There's only one person that knows you better than the people that live under your roof, and that is the God that lives inside of your heart. Nobody knows you like the people that live with you day in and day out. May I testify for just a moment before I preach? My mom and dad have, have exemplified this truth to me all of their lives. We didn't grow up in a perfect home. They would be the first to say that it was not a perfect home. And I'm sure on careful reflection, we all could find things that say, you know, it should have worked on that and done that better and failed in this area and that kind of thing. But my mom and dad, for all of these years, have, have lived as, may I say, both holy and happy Christians. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. Some people get the idea if you're going to have a holy life, you've got to be perfectly miserable in it. And that if you're going to be a happy person, then, you know, you've got you to be free to do whatever you want to do. I want to say to you, God's way is the happy way. That there is a joy this world cannot give you, and praise God, circumstances cannot take it away. In fact, I believe this with all my heart. Happy homes always begin with him. Not with us. Not with what we gain. Not with what we accomplish. Not with what we do. No, no, the real joy is something that only Jesus can give. And may I go a step further and say to you that happy homes begin with happy hearts. If a home is a happy home, it is not happy because it's big or it has beautiful furnishings or it has all the, all the comforts of life that you might imagine. It is a happy place because the Lord lives in the hearts of the people that live inside of that home. And I ask again, is your home really a happy home? Now, the fascinating thing about this word is its placement because it is found at the end of a psalm that is full of conflict. How many of you know we're living in a world filled with conflict right now? There's strife and contention and people fussing and fighting and feuding everywhere you go. And if you think I'm talking about world wars and conflict in different parts of the, the regions of the, of the world, I'm not. I'm talking about the culture we are living in right here where we are. If you want to see conflict, go on social media and just scroll for about five minutes. You'll find it. It's everywhere. We're living in a world where people can't get along, and the sad reality is that is true in many homes, and it shouldn't be that way. May I say, it's true in many churches, and it should not be that way. Your pastor didn't know what I was preaching on this morning, and I had no idea what comments he was going to make, but I appreciated what he said earlier about the unity among God's people. I'm going to tell you something. When God's people can't get along, we have a hard time getting the gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ. Somebody said that many churches are more like goat pens than sheepfolds because people are always butting heads all the time. Friends, it ought not be that way. And it certainly should not be that way for a child of God. You're going to face enough spiritual warfare without starting any skirmishes on your own. And when you come to Psalm 127, you come to a battle psalm. That's what it is. In fact, look at it with me just a minute. Notice that begins. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Do you see the two parts of the very first verse? In the first part, you've got a construction zone, and in the last part, you've got conflict. So you have this building and this battling that are always connected. Read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. What did they have to do? They were building the walls of the city, and while they were building the wall and had the, the trowel in one hand, what did they have in the other hand? They had the sword in the other hand because all the while they were trying to build the walls of home, they were fighting off the devil. 
I want to say to you on the authority of the word of God this morning, if you're going to build a God-honoring marriage and build the lives of your children and build a heritage for your grandchildren and build the kind of church that will hold up the truth of the next generation, you can guarantee this, the devil is going to do everything he can to try to stop that. And the enemy is constantly coming against God's people. So you've got to be ready for the battle. The whole psalm really is about this conflict. Come down to verse number four. You've got arrows. What were the arrows? That was, that was the instruments of warfare in the psalmist's day. In verse number five, you've got the quiver. You've got the enemies standing in the gate. It's a battle psalm. Oh, but I got good news for you. Would you like to know the good news? God has made it so that in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the war zone, on the front line, staring the enemy squarely in the face, God has made it so that you can know the joy of Jesus Christ. Now, the joy doesn't come after the battle. Praise God for this. It comes in the middle of the battle. In fact, it is the joy of the Lord that is the strength God's people need to keep moving forward. So if that is true, how do you have a happy home? Let me give you three truths, and they all come from these verses. Would you take a pen out? I want you to mark some things in your Bible and maybe write these thoughts in the margin this morning. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Here's the first key element. It's the starting point for every good thing. The Bible says, accept the Lord. Would you mark that? <laughs> if God doesn't build it, it won't be built. And then he repeats it, accept the Lord. If God doesn't keep it, it won't be kept. And then look at verse number 2. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late. All of you right now that stayed up too late right now are saying, praise God, that's true, that is true. But what's he talking about? He's saying you can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this on your own and in your own power. It's vain for you to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Would you write down the first key ingredient of a happy home? Number one, there must be faith. Verse one and verse two really lead us to this great truth, and it is this. You are not enough, but God is. Let me tell you what real faith is. Faith is acknowledging that you are nothing and the Lord is everything. There is no real faith until you come to the end of yourself. How do sinners get saved? That's a good question. How do sinners get saved? And last Lord's Day, I was, I was preaching in uh, Tampa, Florida. By the way, it was a little warmer there last Sunday than where I am today. And I was preaching in Tampa, Florida, and it was a wonderful church, wonderful group of people, and when I got to the end of the message and got to the invitation, the gospel appeal, uh, there was a woman about three or four rows back. I noticed her while I was preaching. Uh, she uh, was a visitor. She, she didn't belong to the church, and she had come with a gentleman that had invited her to come. And uh, I, I watched her, and in the invitation, I just simply asked, is there someone here you're not certain of your soul's salvation? And immediately her hand went up. And I said, if that's you, lift your head and look at me. And immediately her head came up. And now we're in this large auditorium, lots of people there, and she and I are looking at each other like there's nobody else in the room. And I said to this woman, I didn't know this woman, I said to this woman, do you know that you're a sinner? And she nodded her head at me. Do you, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from that? She nodded her head at me. I said, are you willing to look to Jesus alone for salvation today. And she nodded her head and said she was. And one of the most glorious things happened. She got out of her seat and came forward and put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior. I didn't know her story and her background. Did you know everybody's got a story? Everybody's got a story. 
The reality is people sometimes come into churches, even good churches, even churches like this, sometimes they spend their whole life and they're depending on themselves or their parents or their grandparents or a church or some baptism they had or some good thing they did or something they're trying to do. But I want to tell you there's only one way of salvation and that is through simple faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Have faith in God. And I tell you that every good thing in life and every good thing for eternity begins at the point of faith. Faith begins when you get saved, but it doesn't end there. In fact, four times in Scripture it says, the just shall live by his faith. So it's not just the starting point, it's the whole thing, it's the whole life. May I ask you, what is it you're having to believe God for right now? In your home, what is it you're having to trust the Lord for? Tam and I have been talking recently, it's interesting, at every stage in life, at every season in life, God will give you something that you have to believe him for all the way till we get to heaven, till faith becomes sight. You're always gonna have to have something that you trust God for. Do you know why that is? Because imagine how full of ourselves and self-sufficient we would become if we did not have to lean wholly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look at verse one and look at verse number two. He says the Lord's gonna do the building and the Lord's gonna do the keeping and the Lord is gonna do the giving in verse number two. And notice the picture that he uses. He said he gives his beloved, what's that word, church? Sleep. How many of you like sleep? Would you raise your hand? Now, how many of you as you get older like it even more, yes? How many of you also notice as you get older it eludes you even more, yes? Maybe that's why we like it more. Sleep's a wonderful thing. Have you ever thought about this? Why did God make it so you had to sleep? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Could God have not made us, Adam and Eve, in the garden? Could God have not made us so that we could just run 24 hours a day, seven days a week like the Energizer Bunny and just go and go and go and go and go and go and go? I mean, honestly, don't you think we could have been more productive? Don't, don't you think if God had made us, made our constitution that way, we could have accomplished more? I mean, we could have done more for his glory. Why did God make it? so that the sun would go down, the shadows would come, you would get weary, and you'd need to lay your head somewhere and sleep. Why did God do that? Please don't miss this truth. Sleep is God's reminder that there is an end to your resources, but there is no end to God's resources. What day was man made on? Sixth day, very good. Sixth day of creation. Now, we understand that in the five days that preceded, God was putting everything in creation that man would need to live. Man could not have existed on this planet before the sixth day of creation. What an all-wise, all-loving God we have. But did you ever notice that God makes man on the sixth day, and what is the next day, please? Tell me. It's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day of what? Rest. Now, human reasoning. Aren't you glad I'm not God? And I'm glad you're not God for the record. Human reasoning, if I were God, I would have said, all right, Adam, we got you here now. We gave you everything that you need. You got a lot of work to do. You got a whole lot of animals to name. And you got a world to conquer and dominion to exert. And I've given you a big work to do, so get after it, buddy. Let's not waste a day. I love this thought. This is not what God did. What did the creator do? God made man. And the next full day that man lived on this planet was a day of rest. You ever wonder why that is? Because God, look please church, because God didn't make it 
so that you would expend all of your energy and resources and knowledge and ideas and creativity until finally you fall and just collapse, though that's the way most of us live, finally collapse totally frustrated and depleted. God never intended his children to live that way. Rather, please, we begin by finding our rest and our resource in the divine enabling of almighty God, and out of that rest, every good thing comes. Let me tell you what salvation is. It's resting in Jesus. It's not turning over a new leaf and joining another church and getting baptized again and trying a little harder. It's not hoping for heaven and crossing your fingers and holding on to the end. Let me tell you what it is. It is resting on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you enter into that rest, every good thing grows out of that. And I submit to you this morning that what is true in salvation is true at every step along the journey of life. It is true for your family. It is not about what you can do, sir. We men are the worst at this. We're the providers and the leaders, and we're going to fix it. How many fixers are with me on that? Would you raise your hand? Well, we want to fix things, don't we? I'm going to tell you what God will do. God will let you get to the place where you can't fix it. You can't even figure it out. But I want to tell you that's a good place to get because when you get to the end of you, you've come to the beginning of him. Sin leads you to a dead end. God never leads you to a dead end. He brings you to an open door. And maybe you feel like you've hit a wall and you say, I don't know what to do. And like the psalmist in another psalm, you throw up your hands and say, I'm at wit's end, I quit. I think heaven starts applauding. And God says, good, I've been trying to get you there for a very long time. Because it is not about what you can do. It's not about what you can produce. It's not about what you can straighten out. It is about what only God can do in your heart and home, and God will only do it when you exercise the principle of faith. So happy homes, number one, are made up of faith. Let me give you a second one. Keep reading. Look at verse number three. Lo, behold, look, children, are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Would you write down a second principle? Happy homes are not only made up of faith, they are made up of gratitude. You see what he does in the heart of the psalm? He brings the people back to what really matters. Aren't we silly sometimes? I mean, honestly, ridiculous. We start living our whole lives for things that are going to burn up someday. Pause and look at me just a moment. You ever think about how hard we work for junk that just doesn't matter? I mean, seriously, for things that when you get to the end of it all, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares how much money's in the bank when you die. Uh, nobody cares how big the house was. Nobody See, in the end, the only thing that really matters is that which is eternal. Do you understand there are only two eternal things on this planet right now? The only two things that are here right now be here a million years from right now. You know what they are? The Word of God and the souls of men. You're reading one of them right now, and you're living with the other. And I love this truth. God brings through the psalmist, Holy Spirit-inspired words, everybody back to center, hits the spiritual reset button and says, hold up just a second. Why don't you stop regretting what you don't have and resenting what God took away and start rejoicing in what God has chosen to give you? How many of you are seated with family today? Would you raise your hand? You're seated with family. Would you turn and look at them for a second? Just turn. You have my permission not to pay attention for a second. I want you to turn and look at them. Do you see those precious people around you there? 
I'm going to tell you something. Those are God's gifts to you. And if I might, if I might say it, how many of you are in here today and your family is not here today? Because I travel a lot by myself, so that's me many Sundays. How many of you here don't have family here today? Would you raise your hand, please? I submit to you, you actually do have family here today because if you're a child of God and we're children of God, we're all members of the family of God. So even if your family's not here today, you're part of the greatest family on earth, and that's God's family. Do you understand how blessed we are, people? And we mope and moan. And we grumble and groan and we talk about how bad it is and we wring our hands like unbelievers. By the way, there's a divine order in this psalm. It begins with faith and the faith leads to the gratitude. You're never thankful until you get your eyes off yourself and get them on Jesus. You're never thankful until you get your eyes off others and get them on Jesus. You're never thankful until you get your eyes off stuff and get it back on Jesus. But when you get your eyes on what really matters, suddenly you start seeing all of life through a totally different lens. And he says, I'm going to tell you what matters. These children God has graciously given you. The, the next generation, the heritage that is left behind. Would you hear me with your heart for just a moment? Life is not about what you get. It's about what God lets you leave behind. It's not about how much you gain. I'm thinking now of our three children. So glad Tammy's with me this weekend. And it'd be rough to go to a couple's retreat by yourself, you know, so I'm really glad she's with me. We don't always get to travel together, but I love it when we do. Our children now, about grown. Morgan is 23 and uh, been married a little over a year. And she and Isaac just let us know that we're going to have our first grandchild, and we're pretty excited about it. Lauren is 20. Grant, we talked to just a moment ago. It's a senior in high school, 17 years of age. All three of them look like their mother, and I say thank you, Jesus, for that. I'm going to sound like an old man for just a minute. I'm not an old man. Don't think. You know, age is relative. It really is relative. It's always 10 years older than whatever you are, you know. And I'm now at the stage in life where I'm old to the young people and I'm young to the old people. It's a weird place to be. But I'm going to talk like an old man for just a minute. I'm starting to think more about the finish line than I am the starting blocks. I've crossed a threshold in my own life, Pastor, where... I'm grateful for youth and the early days and the starting out, but I'm looking now at the end. And I'm thinking more about what my children will have when I'm gone. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the true inheritance. Will my grandchildren know God? Will they grow up in a church like this? Will they love the Bible? And see answers to prayer. Will they be used of the Lord? Do you understand what really matters? Maybe some of us need to get back to just saying, Lord, thank you for what you've graciously given. Thank you for what really matters. We lose such gratitude in our world, don't we? And somewhere, something has to bring us back. I've been thinking all week long about, I think the death toll now is over 28,000 people. 28,000 souls met God last week in an earthquake. 28,000. Let that sink in just a minute. And we're alive. And more than just being alive, we have eternal life. We know the God of life. We enjoy abundant life. You ever think about how truly blessed we are? 
we must go back to talking about the goodness of God in our homes. By the way, look at verse 3 and verse 4. Do you see the emphasis here on children? Do you see the emphasis here on youth? I'm going to tell you what a generation of boys and girls and teenagers need. They need to hear some of God's older saints talking, uh, not about how bad the world is, but about how good our God is. Look, if they want to hear how bad the world is, they can watch the news anytime they want to. But where are they going to hear about the goodness of our God if some mamas and daddies don't start talking about the goodness of God in their homes? And grandmas and grandpas don't start talking about how gracious God has been and how faithful the Lord has been. Look, please, if you really have faith and you're living in faith and you're exercising in faith, then you ought to speak out of that faith. Happy homes, number one, have faith. Number two, have gratitude. Number three, they have purpose. And here's the beautiful thing. He turns the whole thing inside out right now because it's not just about you having a happy home. Happiness is not the goal. It's the byproduct. Uh, the joy of the Lord is the testimony to others. Notice how the psalm ends. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but would you mark this phrase in your Bible, they shall speak. Now look, I, I'm glad I get to speak for the Lord. I'm going to tell you what I really want. I want my children to get to the place where they can speak of the Lord where they speak in faith, where they speak with gratitude. Mark that phrase, they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Do you understand what our great purpose is, church? Our great purpose is to get another generation ready to meet the enemy on the spiritual battlefield. Now, I'm sorry, you can, you can try to circle the wagons all you want to, keep your kids away from every wicked thing that's going on, and I think God bless you for doing it, but I want you to know you're not going to keep the next generation from facing the enemy one way or another. They're going to have to learn to fight the spiritual battle for themselves, and that must begin by us putting something in their hearts while they are still in our homes. I'm looking across this auditorium, and I'm grateful to see young people and young couples and single adults and I'm sure you've got lots of children on this property today as well. I want you to know they are God's gift, but they are not just blessings. They are divine assignments. While we have this little window, we've got to get the truth of God inside every one of them and get them ready to meet the enemy when we are not around. You know what arrows are? Look at the object lesson. He uses the object lesson in verse 4 of arrows in verse 5. Arrows are something that must be made. Arrows are something that must be sharpened. But here's the most obvious thing about arrows. You ready? They're sent. <laughs> you don't have arrows to hold on to them. You don't have arrows to put them in a quiver and look at them and say, aren't those nice arrows? I'm glad we have those. In ancient civilization, arrows were made, look please, to put in the bow, to draw the bow and to send against the enemy. May I say to you, God didn't give us the next generation so we could hold on to them. They're not ours, they are his. Look please, God gave us the next generation to prepare them and send them forth to meet the enemy on the battlefield. And if we're not doing that, we're failing because that's our purpose. My purpose is not to just have a nice time and a longer vacation next year and be a little more comfortable and enjoy the conveniences of our American prosperity. The purpose of the, the Christian home is very simply this. It is to pass on to the next generation what has gladly been passed to us. In fact, may I say it this way, coming full circle back to our word, we're supposed to be preparing more happy soldiers. 
You don't usually put the word happy and soldier together, do you? But I want you to know Jesus does. Because the Lord's soldiers have the Lord's joy as their resource of strength. And I wonder, is your home a happy home? Is this church a happy church? I sense that it is. I spent time with a bunch of you couples over the last couple of days, and I walked in the door here today and just, you know, I'm in a lot of churches, a lot of churches. And there seems to be a happy tone and fellowship and people greeting and saying hello and all that kind of thing, and I'm glad. But may I ask, would the children and teenagers that grow up in this church say that this place is so full of the joy of the Lord that they want this for their life and their future? Would the children that grow up at your house see the joy of the Lord and desire that for their family someday? See, this is the way it perpetuates itself. And I'm going to tell you the saddest thing that could happen. The saddest thing that could happen is that we could hold all the right doctrine, sing all the right hymns, carry the right Bible, nod our head in the right places, say our God bless you on Sunday, and be so void of the joy of Jesus Christ that sinners do not believe there's any reality to the Christ we say lives in us. And the next generation wants nothing to do with our biblical faith. This is time for God's people to get back to truly knowing the joy that Jesus gives. I changed my life first, Pastor. I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not, but I did. I've taken Acts 20, 24 as my second half verse. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. That's what I want. I've seen a lot of people not finish with joy. In fact, this is going to sound terrible, but I've actually been praying lately, Lord, please don't let me become a sour old man. I don't want that. You know, somewhere in life, you get the wind knocked out of you and slapped around a little bit, reality and that kind of thing. If you're not careful, you're going to become cynical and you become critical. You become sour. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need people who are full of faith, full of gratitude, and full of the divine purpose who still have the joy of Jesus Christ. And when I get around those people who are still happy in Jesus, it thrills me. George Mueller said the first thing he did every morning when he got out of bed was open his Bible and read and pray until he got his soul happy in Jesus. <laughs> I like that. Maybe we need to do that. When Mueller was way up in years, somebody said to him, Mr. Mueller, you seem like you're still a happy man. They said, Mueller laughed, threw his head back, and just laughed and said, I am a happy man. And they said, well, all these years praying in all those millions of dollars to take care of all those orphans, how on earth did you keep the joy? He said, that's easy. They said he grabbed his Bible and the old man struggled and got down on his knees. And when he got on his knees, he opened his Bible, put his finger on a verse and looked up to heaven. And he said, every morning when I got up, he said, I opened my Bible and read till I found one of God's promises. And he said, then I put my finger on that verse and looked up to heaven and said, God, you promised and I'm claiming this one today. And he said, for the last 67 years, he said, I've read through my Bible four times every year on my knees. Think about that. And he said, for the last 67 years, I've been a happy man. And then they said he started laughing. And he said, happy, happy, happy. Wouldn't it be great if we had some happy, happy, happy Christians again? Some people full of the joy of the Lord. And that must begin in our homes. Now, I point something really interesting out to you. Would you look just above verse 1? Now, I preached verses 1 through 5, but would you look just above verse 1? There's a little title. Titles matter, you know. 
It's a song of degrees. I'll tell you more about that in the next hour in our Bible study of Psalm 128 because it's a song of degrees too. But this song of degrees is very interesting. Would you look at it, please? It is a song of degrees for who? Hmm. You're telling me this, this happy battle song was written for Solomon? Mm-hmm. A man who started with so much joy. You don't believe me? Read Song of Solomon. Exuberant joy. And a man who ended as miserable as any man has ever ended. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's all miserable. You ever wonder why? If I ask you, stand and tell me, Stand and tell me, please, what Solomon is known for. The one thing Solomon is known for is that he was allowed to build the temple. Is that right? He was allowed to build God's house. How many of you think that's a pretty good accomplishment? You know what's sad? He built God's house, but he neglected his own. If I ask you, tell me about Solomon's family. And we laugh, don't we? We say, well, pff, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had quite a family, yeah. Tell me about his children. You know what's fascinating? He had 1,000 women, according to Scripture, at his house. And yet we only are given the name of a couple of his children. Now, you've got to think he had a lot of children with 700 wives and 300 concubines, but only a couple of them. And the one that is most famous is known for one thing. You know what he did? He divided the nation of Israel because of his own ignorance. The tragedy of Solomon is that he started in joy and ended without it. And the evidence of it is that his own offspring never learned the secret of the happy home. I, I, look, I'm, I'm not talking to you now. I'm talking to me, letting you listen, all right? God's been good to me. I've been given a rich heritage of faith and gratitude and purpose. I mean, my, my parents and my grandparents have loved the Lord. And I, in fact, I believe this. I believe so much of God's blessing right now in our family and my work is not because of us. It is because of their faithfulness. And I give public praise to God for that. But I'm turning the thing around today. I'm not thinking of what I've been given. I'm thinking about what will my children have. Because you could even have the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, as your daddy. But if you don't get the joy of the Lord in your own heart and home, it is unlikely that the next generation will learn it either. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.